McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Poppy fans and welcome to PO4 Class episode 73. Well there's hardly any football being played right at the moment, uh, apart from Bundesliga, up the Union Berlin, but we've got your back and we're bringing you content throughout the lockdown. Joining me on the show is the host of the What The Fork podcast, uh, media at Borough Women and former host of the Roke Report podcast, Graham Falk. How are you mate, alright? Same place as everyone else pretty much mate, yeah. I-, I love to say that I'm more bored than anyone else, but yeah I'm... I'm, I'm missing the thing that my life kind of revolves around, but I'm sure I'm not the only one. No, exactly, mate. We've, we've been talking about that a little bit on, on the show with different people we've had, and it is a bit it is a bit difficult, isn't it, out there? So um, I'll just shout out any Pompey fans who feeling a bit blue, always hit me up. My DMs are open on Twitter, always open for a chat. Um, yeah, cool. So just to give people a bit of background um, listening to the show, what we thought we'd do is we're going to go around the league and talk to um, different sort of podcast hosts, fan site people from various different teams in League One, uh, try and get a perspective on you know how they how they think their season's gone, um, and also a little bit of a view on what they thought how Pompey's season has gone as well. So I thought, who better to start off this season um, than speaking to yourself, Graham, friend of the show? It's a terrible first choice. Even if I do say so myself, you should have gone for someone so much more better than I, much more better than I am. That's not good English. And there, there's my point proven straight away. No, nah, that's bollocks, mate. That's all good. I like that. <laughs> that that's, that's getting in the PO forecast spirit, that is. Well, I, I like it. I think people think you're fitting in exactly right, mate. So, yeah, just to kick it off, I suppose, we're looking at Sunderland, I think Sunderland have had, you could almost say on the field, a fairly similar season to Pompey, really, haven't they? One point behind uh, Portsmouth, currently in seventh place with 59 points, although you played an extra game. Do you really think, though, that the season is an absolute failure for Sunderland? As I think for Pompey, we feel that it was it was promotional bust. And I think that's probably the best place to start at the start. Is your expectation as a Sunderland fan, was it promotional bust? Um, I think you've got to go from something that the chairman said right at the end of last season when we got beat in the the playoff final in like the last seconds of it. Um, actually, in a conversation with me, funnily enough, and it became quite an infamous thing because looking back, it was ludicrous. Um, he, he said, we need to aim to go up next season, being the current season, with 100 points because I think we got like 89 or something, 85 sort of last year um, with numerous different draws. So he set this target where it was like 100 points. So you're building up an expectation there straight away. I would say the fan base, yeah, we, I wouldn't say we expect to be in the championship, but like we're starting to be a little bit like, right, come on, when does these things get a little bit better? Because we've had like two, we had like 10 years of struggle in the Premier League, which looking back was a fantastic time in comparison to now. But 
if you look at we went in the championship and dropped straight down and then you would have hoped we would have been a bit closer in the first season. And I think from the outside looking in, a lot of people go, oh, Jack Ross was unlucky. He was like a penalty kick away from winning the checker trade. He was a last minute goal away from, um, you know, getting the extra time against Charlton in, in the playoff final. But in truth, la- last season wasn't really good enough. And, and this season's been worse, but it always comes from, in my opinion, the top. And I think the recruitment just hasn't been good enough. We've been saying since we were in the premiership, to be honest, that we need a bit of pace in the middle. And we just, we've never addressed it. And we've just got progressively worse across the rest of the pitch. We don't have a striker that can score 20 goals. Um, and we just pick up stupid results. Like, we went to a horrible patch with Parkinson. I think it was two wins in 13. And it was yeah. just awful. And then we kind of, and, and I think people think Sunderland fans have these really high expectations. And I mean, we all knew how big the Pompey game was, like the the game that he's won when I think, uh, Burg- was it Burgess that scored the first one? Who got the second one again? Put me on the spot now, mate. Jamal Lowe's got the e- got an equaliser at yours. I can't remember which one which one we mean. That was the one where he celebrated in front of your fans. I don't know. It was blatantly off as well. The ball definitely went out and then the ball was crossed back in. Um, who, was the, who was this season though? Who scored in the home game? The most recent game we played? It was Burgess got the header and then... Yeah. Oh, I can't I'm just remember. Trying to, I'm just trying to remember, mate. We'll come back to it. I'll remember. Carry on. Basically, I think we, we'd won about, I'm sure we'd won like seven games or something on the bounce when we went to Pompey. And it was kind of like, that felt like, look, if we're going to hit form here and we're going to rescue what was a, a wretched October or December, end of December time, going to Pompey and getting a, a draw or a win, because you were on a similar level of run of form and a really similar season. Because like, if we go to Pompey and get a result, like that's really important. That really kicks us on. And obviously we got beat. And a lot of people kind of just went, you know what? Pompey are a good side. Like they've been in a good run of form. It was in their own backyard. If that Luke O'Neill shot from like 30 yards out goes in, different game, win again next week and just kick on again. But I can't remember exactly the results that they were because it feels like so long ago now. But basically since then, we like drew against Fleetwood. We got beat off Bristol Rovers. So rather than it looking like it was a poor October to December and then we've re-kicked on and, and worked out how to play in the Parkinson and we're going to go and like storm the league, it kind of just looks like it was a bit of a purple patch. People have now worked us out and we're shit again. So it's like, it feels like we've had between the back end of December, like uh, I think we played Doncaster on the 29th, up until February, we've been class and the rest of the season we've just been mid-table. But it all comes back to recruitment for me. It all comes back to recruitment. It hasn't been good enough. No, I understand that, mate. And I, I actually thought it was going to be quite a close game when you did come down to Fratton Park. It was James Bolton, by the way, which is why it was quite a forgettable play. Oh, as well. right. He's our right-back who um, doesn't usually score any goals, to be honest, mate. So um, yeah. that's, a, that's a little bit of a kick in the teeth as well, two defenders um, getting the goals. Yeah. I thought you guys really struggled in that game and I thought you struggled to impose yourselves on us a little bit. I think it was, we pressed you quite high on the pitch actually in that game. Um, yeah. I think, I think you really struggled when you're not on the, on the front foot and, you know, Pompey really just pinned you, I think in your own, in your own end a bit. I looked at the shots, it was actually 17 shots to five, for instance, in that game um, in favour of Portsmouth, which sort of, I think sort of tells a story really there. Um, and at the five, you managed to get two on target. So it, it was a bit of a peppering really in that sense, but I think you had a different season to start to us because Pompey were rubbish at the start of the season. I mean, we, we were literally, I think in October, we were still down in 18th position. 
so and then you know everyone wanted um kenny jacket out and stuff and we'll come on to what you think about the management and stuff like that later on but you know you're talking about the fact that recruitment wasn't good enough obviously we can go back to looking at your strikers and you know you need someone with a bit more pace but chris mcguire is your top scorer this season isn't he and i think he i think he got 10 goals in the league um that's not good enough really is it if you you know for one player and then it, it really drops off after that as well doesn't it so it's not as if you've got a few players around that sort of level you've actually got chris mcguire i think got 10 or 9 or 10 um and then you've got gooch with 10 so you've got two and then i think it's white with five yeah um, and, and that that's your first striker with, with five goals do you think that Sunderland obviously had that panic moment when I think it's fair to say went out and bought Will Grigg, who's a striker who just didn't fit in the system? Do you think? Do you think it's fair? To, do you think it's fair to say? And I know you'll know about this, mate. Um, especially since if everyone hasn't watched Sunderland till I die, Graham interviewed um, Stuart Donald on that and asked him this question directly. So I'm going to ask you the question back and see if you answer it different differently. Why didn't that work out? Why didn't that work out with Will Grigg? And secondly. Why hasn't that been resolved, and why hasn't another player been brought in? Um, and I, I mean, I remember when I did the interview with him, and I asked the question, you know, and I don't know for the people who listen to the full podcast as opposed to just the Netflix version of it. What I was kind of getting at was, if you're going to spend big on a player, I really commend that. Um, like that, you kind of put your, you know, your head above the parapet and said, you know, let's go for someone. I need to sign him. Um, why didn't you? scout him correctly and just go like yeah he scored goals in league one but football is not as simple as that like it's not football manager you have to make sure that the player that comes in is close to the way Madger was playing because the way Madger was playing just fitted into the team perfectly we had like Gooch, McGeady, Madger, Maguire and it just worked like an absolute dream and Honeyman could drop in and out and drop deep and come into the 10 if one of them got injured and it just worked fine and I think we would have been all right with that with Madger but like Will Griggs are completely different. He's he's not in the same class as Maggio. That's not his fault. But he's a completely different player. I think I think it says a lot about the way Sunderland are ran at the minute. Unfortunately, um, I think Stuart Donald's signing of, of Will Grigg was a kind of a please love me Sunderland fans. I want to get this right. I don't necessarily care about liking the chairman. I don't have to like him, and I think a lot of fans feel that way. Just make the decisions right. A lot of people didn't like Ella Shaw. I quite liked him as a person. I think he put a lot of money into Sunderland and he put his trust in the wrong people. But I disliked him for how much he got it wrong and put money and time and effort into non-football people. Um, I disliked that as opposed to him, sorry. Um, whereas with Stuart Donald, it sometimes felt a little bit like he just... I mean, you've seen it on the show. He just lets emotion get the better of him. It's like, he goes, don't go more than 1.25, I think it is, Jack Ross says. Yeah. Um, the, the scary thing about that was when I asked him, he repeated to me again and again that Jack, it was Jack, Jack Ross wanted him. So he went for him. Jack Ross wanted him. So he went for him. But you hear on the show, Jack Ross says to him, don't go higher than that. He's not worth it. So Jack Ross is saying to him, and it's recorded and on a Netflix TV show, Yeah. I wouldn't go more than that because he's not worth it. So he can't have wanted them that much. He wanted them to the point where he said spend that much. And there's not a manager in the history of the game that would say to a chairman, ah, don't spend too much because a manager wants as much kit as he can get. He physically said to him, don't spend that much. I don't think he's worth it. And he's not. Like, Will Griggs never going to be worth three million a month on Sundays. Like, and I don't necessarily think the failure of Will Griggs is 
Will Griggs fall? A lot of people think he's lazy. I just don't think he fits into the team. And I think, again, that goes back to recruitment. But for every Will Griggs story, I could give you probably another few stories across the pitch where the recruitment just hasn't been good enough and just identified the wrong players and the wrong people. Who who do you think Elston has failed at Sunderland in that in that way? Because obviously there's been like Pompey, there's been quite a turnover of um, of players, hasn't there? Especially in the middle. Um, who do you think has been a, the biggest flop then, apart from Will Grigg, who everyone already knows about? Maybe a bit more off the beaten track that Pompey fans might not have picked up. I mean, if you look through the squad, um, obviously the ones that we brought in last season have done sort of okay. I think the success story is probably Luke Nyan. Um, he's the big success story. Maguire's obviously a, a success story as well. But, you know, when you look through the squad, like Charlie White, we spent almost a million pounds on him, I think, at least 900,000 or something like that. And he's mm. he is a target man, but he's not a goal scorer. Um, and I understand why Parkinson plays him. But we signed Lafferty, and Lafferty hadn't played for like six months, and he was coming off the bench for like 10, 15 minutes to go. In the first start that he got, which was against Gillingham, which was two games before lockdown happened, he banged in two goals. He got two chances, he scored two goals. Um, and Lafferty's, Lafferty's a target man and, in my opinion, a striker. I've watched a lot of Rangers, lived in Glasgow a long time. Um, and, and Lafferty, for me, is is far above a League One level striker. I think he, he's high level. But, I mean, there's a few signings we've had. I mean, for me, Max Power's not done as much as he, he should have done. He's had... What annoys me with Max Power is I know how good Max Power can be. I think he is a really good player at this level. One of the better ones we've got. It just seems to be a bit inconsistent. But there's a few, really. I mean, you could go through the entire team. We signed Declan John in January. He's never played a minute. Like, hey. A minute football. Declan John. <laughs> yeah, I just I just didn't know. Oh, right. Yeah. No, it's the yeah. same. Like, um, we, we feel quite similar with that. We signed Josh Scowen. Josh Scowen's never played. We signed Joel Lynch. And the only thing Joel Lynch has really done is I think he chucked Sean Raggett into the post. That was yeah. like the only thing he's yeah. done of note, to be honest. That was um, brutal as well. But, you he know. Got, yeah. He got knocked out about 10 minutes later as well, didn't he? So yeah, yeah. And he's a tough cookie as well. You know, the man who has his front teeth knocked out and just doesn't even need to replace it. He just doesn't yeah. feel the need to. You know, f- f- footballers aren't short of money, are they? <laughs> I think like, that's the first thing I'd be doing, getting that replaced, to be honest, mate. And it's from some sort of beauty either. Uh, teeth in there. But there's, the, the, I suppose the long story short is there's been too many failures from the past two seasons of sign-ins as opposed to successes. The successes come to my mind straight away. Maguire, O'Neill, um, Glockman. The, the failures and, and Willis to be fair Jordan Willis has been good but the failures you're like you know you've got Wyke Greg Dobson's a bit hit or miss which I feel like I'm blaspheming saying that because I, I, I like I, Dobson I think he's a good player he's just is, is it the big stage though at Sunderland it's, it's a bit of a difference coming from Warsaw isn't it yeah young player coming from you know a smaller club where he's sort of captain I think he was at, at Warsaw wasn't he um, yeah, he was at Walsall, he was uh, at Arsenal and West Ham as a kid, he went over to Sparta Rotterdam and came back. I think with with Dobson, I think um, I think he'll get better, there's definitely room to grow, but he's like at the same time he's a, he's a kid. Um, but I think I think he'll get better, but I'm very, very, very pro-George Dobson. There'll be a lot of people, the point is there'll be a lot of people listening to this going, nah, George Dobson's rubbish. And there's too many of those situations where you can't go universally, almost universally, yeah, he's a good signing. It's Maguire, O'Neill. Um, I've mentioned Lafferty, but there'll be a lot of people that said, well, yeah, he's only really played one game. Like, let's see if he can do it consistently. There's far too many players that just haven't improved the side and we're gradually morphing into a, 
a team that you think have got too many good players to to be in this division and should go up to suddenly we look a little bit like the seventh or eighth best team in League One and that's kind of where we are. Yeah, and when you talk about those players, Luke 09, uh, Lafferty, and I, I'm just what really came to mind then was Chris Maguire as well. They're all out of contract in this summer, aren't they? Every one of them. I think 09's got. Um, I think Luke O'Neill's got like an automatic extension, so we're not too worried about him. But Maguire's out of contract. McLaughlin's out of contract, um, and and there's apparently been no discussion. McLaughlin did an interview with uh, I think it was like the Sun Deck, or no, it was with, with the Edinburgh News or something, because he used to be at Hearts, and they were saying about like oh coming back to Hearts like jokingly, and he he almost kind of said, well, I kind of want to stay, but like I haven't been offered anything. And McLaughlin's like the second choice goalkeeper for Scotland, which I know it's not a, a huge deal, but at the same time, like he's been competent for almost two seasons. He had a bit of a, a sticky spell this season, but he's, he's our best goalkeeper and he was valued at 5 million at the start of the season by Stuart Donald. So why has he not been offered a contract? I don't know. Um, Maguire, I can understand maybe, I, I mean, I, I can't really, but Maybe they're thinking about Maguire's going to get one and they don't really need to discuss it because they're pretty certain they're going to offer him one. Uh, or nine has got an extension, but you've got like Lafferty, Tom Flanagan, Joel Lynch, Alan Ozturk, um Flanagan, I think he was out there as well. Yeah, yeah, Flan- yeah. Flan- Flan- was out of contract. There's, there's absolutely loads of players that are like due the end of a contract. I think someone said the other day that we're like the third highest for players that have a contract running out like next month. Yeah. I mean, we've got players who obviously gone back from from loans or um, whatever. So, but at the same time, we have got a few players as well. So Christian Burgess, but he's out of contract. He is out of contract. Sorry, um, in the summer, I don't see why he hasn't been re-signed. So, you know, they were talking about waiting to see what happens in this situation with what's going on with COVID nineteen. But you know, Ronan Curtis was re-signed to a three year deal in January. So. You got to think though that someone like Christian Burgess from our side, who's been by far, you know, our best defender from a from a defensive point of view by far this season, and also great in the community, um, and just loved by the fans. You just got to get him a contract, haven't you? He's not going to cost. He's not going to cost um, a huge amount of money. Uh, you know, I'm sure it'd be a respectable amount, but it's not going to be. You know, it's not mega money if that makes sense. And like even someone like Ronan Curtis, you assume would be earning a lot more money in that sense. Um, obviously, I don't know the details of it, so. You know, Luca Nine, you think it's an automatic extension, fair enough, but you could just announce that. You could just say we're extending his contract. Chris Maguire, again, I, I would have thought that he'd be the kind of player that a little bit like Ronan Curtis, who I, you know, I would say it, 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 he's probably of a similar importance to Sunderland as Ronan Curtis is to, is to Portsmouth. Yeah. Why is why hasn't that man got a contract now in January? The, the biggest worry for me on players like that as well, and this is from a Sunderland perspective, and you may have some examples from from Portsmouth as well, is that I don't mind players like uh, Maguire and um, O'Neill going if the plan to let them go is to bring in much better players and you've recruited or or scouted these players that you know you're going to get in the summer and you know are going to improve the squad. But I think we've proven that last season, those players that went last season, like Honeyman went, Last season, he still hasn't been replaced and he was regarded by many as not being good enough to be one of the players that should be starting every week to get us out of this division. I mean, Dylan McGeoch's gone. Um, he went to Aberdeen in January because he was seen as not like the kind of player that would fit in. We signed Josh Scowen, who came with a decent reputation. He's barely played. So I don't really have too much trust in Sunderland's board or Sunderland's recruitment 
and God, I hope I'm wrong. And I'd love to, I would love to have egg on my face with it because all I want is something to succeed. Um, but I don't have that much trust in the recruitment based on the past couple of years that if Maguire isn't offered a contract, if McLaughlin isn't offered a contract, um, if Onai, say, for whatever reason, didn't get that extension, that we would replace those players with someone who's as good as or better and will improve the squad. I, I don't think we will. I mean, Maguire has probably been our player of the year this season. And I know he's 31, but 31 in League One's nothing. He's he's lost a I never thought he was fat in the first place. Some people did, but he's he's definitely looking a lot trimmer than he ever has. He's probably running more miles than he ever has, and he's by far been our best player, in my opinion, from the season beginning, um, not just since he ran a bit more. I think he's been great all season, in my opinion, with one or two dips, which naturally happened. But do I think we're going to get a player that's going to be better than Chris Maguire? It was my argument with McGeady. A lot of people said we improved after McGeady came in. But yeah, for like seven or eight games. But McGeady, in my opinion, is the best player on talent in League One. If you're going to get rid of him, at least replace him with something better. And we've brought nobody in to replace him. I also think that the thing about McGeady was that there was so much pressure on him to be the person that has to always be the one to find that spark. And I, th- I feel that watching Sunderland myself, the ball was going out to him all the time, a lot, you know, a lot of the time anyway. Um, and what you needed really was the player system that allowed him, but also others to take take the pressure and also take the lead, really. I don't see why with McGeady in the team, it has to be everything all McGeady or not. Now, maybe that's, an, you know, um, not from a Sunderland fan perspective, but watching it, I thought, you know, you could you could play a, a same system. You could play 4-3, 3-4-3 three, three, three that you play now um, and have McGeady playing wide, couldn't you? Um, and Maguire on the other side and, or, and Gooch in the mix as well. I, had, I don't understand why you can't do that. He, I mean, he had dipped in form a little bit like compared to last season, but he was phenomenal last season. He was like a total match winner. He scored like 12 goals and he was out injured till, from Octo- um, up to October or something. And I mean, you're at the game at the Czech Dread, you've seen how good he can be. He's absolutely a match winner. But with McGeady, a lot came down to attitude and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, I spoke to Mark McNulty, who we, we both probably like and remember fairly fondly, probably yeah. more so you than, than we did because he didn't spend too long here. But um, he, I mean, he's really close with Aiden, and I asked him straight, you know, question what what's he like in training? And he said, mate, he's in, he's incredible. He's like he's an absolute joke. Um, you know, like he said, he, he said he was pleased he wasn't a defender in training because you know he just do two step overs, and that was him scoring a goal. Um, I think for me, even if you are relying on someone like McGeady a lot, you don't. I just don't think you oust a player like that. And I think a lot of people questioned his, um, a lot of people questioned his attitude and stuff like that. And I'll echo what. Um, Mark Monotti said about him you don't get to the level Aidan McGeady's been at previously in his career by having a bad attitude like you just don't like he's, he's played in the Champions League Everton Celtic really high pressure games he's just a, a winner he's probably getting pissed off the same as the fans were that the team's just not good enough and things outside of his control isn't good enough I, I think you don't to me, I still don't understand why Adam McGeady wasn't part of the squad. And there'll be a lot of people that disagree with me on that. Um, but again, I wouldn't mind him getting ousted if we brought in someone of, of better ilk. But we didn't. We brought in Antoine Semenyo, who just looks like a young, raw kid that might be good in five years' time. And that's not good when you need to get promoted now, really, is it? And let's be honest, 
I think I think the expectations from my perspective anyway is that people want him to be that superstar the whole time. And as we know, Flair attacking wide players tend to dip in and out of form a little bit. Um, the fact that he was so consistent last season doesn't mean that he can be that consistent the whole time, especially at League One level. If no, he was that consistent the whole time, he'd be a top championship player. Uh, um, that is, that's the difference really, isn't it? I suppose, you know, the likes of, we've had some good wingers here and, you know, Ronnie Curtis, Jamal Lowe, et cetera, but they all have their dips in form. They all go so many games with, the, you know, it doesn't quite work for them. You know, they try and knock it around somebody, but eventually the ball just doesn't fall. The shooting, it's going wide, but that changes. They get a lucky bounce, get a goal, and then suddenly the goals start flooding in again and the assist comes. So I think it was a bit of impatience there from, from the, from the ownership really to try and change it up a little bit. And just touching on the ownership situation, because Obviously, there's been a lot in the press recently about Stuart Donald obviously wanting to to sell the club. And there's been talk about him banking the £20 million in parachute payments that basically he was supposed to pay back, wasn't he? I don't know. I I think he tried to come out and say recently in a statement that he was going to pay that money back. Do you have any faith he's going to pay that back? I mean, you've met the guy. Um, Or do you think it's just uh, we'll pocket that so the club doesn't go under and try and shift it on the cheap? God knows. Um, I have to be honest and say that in my experiences, which was few and far between, and may have seemed like it was more frequent, but it wasn't. Um, my experiences with Stuart was he was quite an affable guy. A bit. I mean, there's a there's a there's an outtake where out of something until I die, where someone kicks a ball to him and he tries to control it, and he just slips on the turf and falls flat on his face. <laughs> and that, that that was just like an analogy of Stuart Donald. He always seemed to be trying to do the best thing, but inevitably falls on his face. Um, that's kind of how I would describe his time at Sunderland, really. Um, the the money thing's bad form, though. Um, I mean, I haven't seen any accounts or anything like that, but I, know, I think it was Kevin Maguire was speaking on the Wiseman Say pod and also then on the Rock Report pod as well about how he'd seen the finances, but he seemed quite sheepish to kind of go into detail about how he'd seen them, probably because he didn't want to get someone in trouble, which is understandable. Um, to me, it, from what we've been told or what, uh, I mean, the Sunderland released a statement the other day that was horribly, horribly non-league. It was like four questions and it was all one word answers, either yes or no. It was just, horrible to read it just felt like so non-league and in fact it would be an offence to non-league I'm, I'm classing non-league as if they're not professional and I've seen many well-run sort of non-league clubs um, it just didn't look good it didn't look good at all and I'm not really sure what I'm, I'm not the, a finance guy if I'm honest with you but from what I understand um, he used or supposedly used some of the parachute payments to purchase the club um, but he was always due to pay them back to the club which Supposed to be fine, um, but then the, apparently the accounts that have come out indicate there's like this twenty point five million hole in the accounts, and that's what stopped people from buying us. And I don't know how well it was uh, sort of heard down south, but we were going to be getting taken over by like Dell at some point, and it was it was so dead on. Well, the computer company that it was like. Yeah, yeah, like the yeah, Michael yeah, Dell yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. Consortium of sorts. Um and it got so close that um like a Love Supreme, which is a like long running great fanzine um from Sunland, started printing t shirts that said Sun Dell Land. And I mean I'm not saying anything here, but let's just say that around that time a lot of the hierarchy were quite close 
to yeah. a lot of the fanzines. So they must have heard something from somewhere to print T-shirts out there. Like, I was part of a podcast where I wasn't hosting um, about the takeover where we spoke about it at length and went really, really in-depth about it. And uh, then the, the takeover never happened. And it kind of... We got told it was never meant to be a takeover. It was always meant to be an investment. Um, but it seems horribly coincidental that these reports of the 20.5 million pounds missing and then there's also been like numerous takeovers that have fell to pieces because i suppose if you're trying to take over a club you'd, you'd pinpoint where's that 20.5 million wouldn't you you'd be like well hang on a minute exactly that? um so I, I don't know is the truth and i would hate to allege anything um but it certainly looks a little bit coincidental doesn't it yeah, it does indeed. And um, I thought another interesting appointment from the Sunderland ownership was um, Jim Rodwell as the new CEO of the club, um, <laughs> a.k.a. The, the club destroyer, as uh, said by quite a few clubs he's worked with before. So the likes of Notts County, who are in a, a pretty awful situation, um, Scunthorpe, obviously, uh, they were, I know a few Scunny fans, and they were absolutely delighted that he took him off their hands. Um, They're pretty, pretty uh, damning of his review on, you know, how he runs football clubs as well. What's the other one he ran? Um, I, I keep thinking Burton, it's not Burton, not is it? It's Boston. Boston. Boston, yes. Yep. They still haven't recovered from his tenure either. Um, as they said, he's the person that ruined the football club. So it's an interesting appointment because Pompey fans generally are pretty happy with Mark Catlin leading um, Pompey generally, I think. you know, Some people at me if you want to about that, but I think generally people are pretty happy with how Mark Catlin runs the team. Why did you bring someone like Jim Robwell in? He spent five years at Scunthorpe, didn't achieve anything pretty got them relegated and never managed to build this stadium that he promised them that he'd do. So I'm going to, I'm going to be as balanced as I can with this. Um, I had never heard of the guy, the name Rodwell sends shivers down my spine, but that's probably <laughs> more so for, uh, for Jack. Um, yeah. Cause that didn't work out. That's shall we say that, that was something down to a T that. So when you hear the name Rodwell and Sunderland, especially when the first name begins with the J, you do start to like shit your pants a little bit. Um, I saw that on Twitter. Everyone was literally like, going oh, off, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> did you not learn it from the last time we signed a J Rodwell? Um, but I mean, in a way, and he's, I believe he's doing a podcast with the club in next week. And I'd be, I'm always willing to give everyone a chance because if he's made that many mistakes in the past, you would hope he would have learned by that. Um, and you would hope that he sees this as a big chance and he fixes it. So from a, a different perspective, you know, I'm quite quite the kind of person that will give anyone a chance, which is probably when it comes to Sunderland Football Club, probably a detriment um, to me because it continuously kicks me in the arse. But I'm willing to give anyone a chance in a fresh slate. It's a fresh slate. And if he's made that many mistakes, then then hopefully he, he does. But then on the flip side, and even though they, the, the, this is going to sound like, a oh, look who I know, look who I know. It's certainly not. But I've done many interviews in the past and I got a phone call from a, a former Sunderland player. I won't say the name about two days after the appointment, literally saying, what the fuck have you done? And it was like, uh, you know, what do you mean? I don't know much about him. And it was like, it was someone who'd worked alongside of him and he was an absolute disaster and basically a bit of a rent a gob. Um, so I haven't had good reviews from people necessarily that, you know, people are not having him basically. 
But then on the flip side, am I always willing to give people a chance and say, you know, maybe they'll learn from the mistakes? Well, you've got to hope that with people, haven't you? Like, I think we've all made mistakes in our personal lives and we've all made mistakes in our um, professional lives as well. And I think you always consistently try to learn from them. If he's made mistakes at Boston, Notts County and Scunthorpe, yeah, that worries me an awful lot because with all due respect to those three clubs, those three clubs together aren't as big as Sunland and all of a sudden he's landed on our doorstep. Um, but you know, pray to God the guy gets it completely wrong. But yeah, the reviews I'm getting from people who I personally really respect in the game have not been, when I say not been great, I mean absolutely horrendous reviews of him. Um, so you've just got to hope that he's learned. But it seemed a bizarre appointment for someone who's actively trying to sell the club um and we keep getting told he's trying to sell the club and it's definitely what he wants to do and um you know he's he's he didn't want to hang on to it because there was the big statement from certain fan groups um one of which i was part of at the time about wanting Stuart donald to no longer be part of the club and uh why i think there's many pros and many cons to that and i'm still not too sure where at that point i would have stood now it's a little bit different because just too many things are not adding up. We keep getting told that, oh, well, if you want me out, you know, I'll go, I'm selling the club. But then you're appointing the CEO. And then the thing about the 2.5 million, it's just a bit of a mess, to be honest. Um, but I'm, I'm ever the optimist. I hope that it works out. And Jim Rodwell's the best CEO that we've ever had. But I'm, I'm still really, really scarred from Martin Bain, to be honest with you. And Martin Bain came with a much better reputation. Not much better much better reputation than Jim Rodwell did and Martin Bain had worked at Rangers and yeah he wasn't necessarily well liked there but he'd worked at clubs of a similar ilk to Sunderland and, and bigger clubs than Sunderland just truth be told Jim Rodwell's made a mess of clubs that are like a, uh, that's going to sound really offensive there I won't because obviously I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings of any clubs but they're, they're smaller clubs than Sunderland no, I think you can say that, mate. <laughs> I don't think yeah, it's yeah, gonna be yeah, yeah. no Boston fans are gonna be having a go at me. The only um the only podcast that have, have a go at me, mate, is um what are they called? Uh the guys from Shrewsbury who seem to think that I've got a, a bias of thinking Pompey are massive in comparison to um to oh, uh, themselves. What? Is it Ollie from uh Saladcast? Yeah, yeah, they had a go. I, I basically did a um what did I do? Did a podcast just thinking of players that we could sign? Um, and I can't remember who, even who it was. And he came out and said, "What do you think? Why is the reason you think that Pompey, um, you know, will be able to sign a player from Shrewsbury? Basically, you, you know, you think too much of yourselves, and um, you got no chance of signing any Shrewsbury players." Which I just thought was a really, really odd comment. Um, anyway, mate, I'll move on from that because it's very like, relevantly I'll, off track. I like Sorry? you both. I like you both, but Pompey are a bigger club than Shrewsbury. That's why. <laughs> just to put that out there. Yeah, yeah. They're a bigger club. It's unfortunately that that's kind of the way the cookie crumbles, I guess. Yeah, I mean it's, it's a bit of an odd one as well because we have signed uh, quite a few players like um, from from Shrewsbury um, yeah. already. So I think maybe that was what touched the nerve. Um, yeah. So well, maybe maybe it works out, pal. Uh, maybe it works out with the club destroyer. You never know. Um, it's always interesting when a new CEO comes in as well because they like to sort of usually make a stamp, don't they, or make their mark on the, on the club, especially a club in, oh, I don't want to say disarray, but, you know, the, the, the ownership's a bit muddled at least, isn't it, to say to say the least, I suppose. Um, you've already bought in a manager in Phil Parkinson midway through the season. Fans seemed pretty yeah. unhappy with the appointment. I was pretty shocked that you went for him in the first place, if I'm honest. I would have, you know 
I mean, I'm guessing maybe he's a bit too expensive. Was a cheap appointment, but someone like Stendhal would have been a good appointment, I think, from Barnsley. Maybe play the sort of football that Sunderland fans want to see. I think they want to see more attacking football, especially after years before as well of more defensive football. But let's just start on the concept. Phil Parkinson, is he? Is it being a good move? And does Sunderland even have the money to get rid of him if they wanted to? Ah, uh, you know, like no, I was. I think I was pretty quickly Parkinson out pretty fast. Um, but I met him briefly, and he's such a lovely bloke, such a nice guy. But I just don't think that's. I just don't think it's going to work. But it's not because of the way he is. I think. I can only judge on what I've seen in my own history of supporting Sunderland. Now I'm 33. My first game was 1993. So I've seen, in no particular order, um, Terry Butcher, not the greatest of managers. Um, not for us, anyway. Um, Mick Buxton. And then I had Peter Reid for seven years. And then I had pretty much everyone else after that. Um, Howard Wilkinson, Mick McCarthy... Uh, Roy Keane and then it was like a mixture of I think Bruce Poyet uh, and then you go on from there uh, De Canio and that kind of stuff now there's always a certain kind of manager that has worked at Sunderland now the three most successful managers in in my Sunderland supporting group well top four Peter Reid stands at the top Sam Allardyce was the first manager that looked like he was going to bring those Peter Reid days back and, and have us punching above our weight in the top 10. Um, because Allardyce rescued us and saved us with like a game to go. But in the last 15 games of the season, we only lost three. So the team he built from January was like looking like we were going to be good. Then he went to England. Poyet did very, very well. Um, and also Roy Keane was one of my favourite managers of all time. He was brilliant for us. And they all had really similar personalities. They're all fiery people that kind of like understood Sunderland. And Sunderland is a difficult place to play and to manage. Like, it, it is. Like, people disagree with me on that. I, I, that's fine. It, it is a difficult place to play because we live and breathe it. And sometimes it just gets too much for all of us. And I think that's just the way it is. Um, you need a certain character that's got bloody broad, big, broad shoulders and like Keane, Poyer, Peter Reid, Allardyce, all tick those boxes. Um, for me, Parkinson hasn't really achieved enough in the most, in the most recent times, the past few years, and hasn't got the same kind of charis- charismatic charisma or characters as those people who have succeeded at Sunland. Um, and unfortunately, shy retiring types kind of fail at Sunderland because it gets a bit mm. too much. And I think he's quite good at taking the pressure. And he was actually really good looking back during that terrible run of form. He just ploughed on and said, no, I believe that is going to come. And it did. But I would have been interested to see how he would have fared this season had it not been for, obviously, COVID because it could have went two ways. If we, Because we had three or four bad results before COVID happened and it kind of knocked us down to eighth, I think. But say that he went on another good run towards the end of the season, then you would say, like, ah, actually, hang on, this guy's got a bit of resilience. He has got those broad shoulders. But at the moment, at the time of speaking, he came in, we were shit. We were good for a bit, and now we're shit again. 
indicates that he's probably not up to the job. But God, I hope he proves me wrong. Um, but he wouldn't have been my choice at the beginning. In fact, he was so far from my number one choice at the time. Um, Kevin Phillips, is it? Yeah, Phillips it would have been for me at the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I just wanted to be excited about Sunderland again. And um, I think hindsight is a wonderful thing. Would I change my mind now? I, I don't know. Um, in an ideal utopian world, it would have been Roy Keane because I just love Roy Keane for every reason you can possibly like a person. He's just class. He's just funny, charismatic, has standards. Um, at the time, though, it seemed realistic. Like Phillips would have been the choice and Phillips would have kind of reignited the fan base a bit. And it, it was, it's a bit stale being a Sunderland fan like this season. It's, it's been a bit like it just plodded along and just did stuff and occasionally been exciting and often been horrible. Um, and I didn't feel like Parkinson was the person to lift that, and I thought that Phillips would have been. Um, but I would be interested to see how we would have finished the season. But my gut instinct would have been we would have finished outside the playoffs or just in the playoffs and got knocked out in the semis, which is a failure, simply put. Yeah, well, we, we actually talked about it in an interesting way from Pompey and saying that I think tw- uh, we did a poll and I think 52% of fans thought we would get knocked out in the playoffs again. Um, and I think 13 or 14% or something like that thought we'd actually get promoted um, anyway in that sense. So I think you can draw some pretty similar comparisons in this, between the two clubs, I think, and the, the sort of weight of expectation and maybe the sort of a slight level of negativity of fans not believing that it's going to happen. What, what are your thoughts on Kenny Jacket and what he's done at Pompey? Because there is, I would say there was a period basically where a lot of the fans decided they wanted um, they want Kenny Jacket out. Um, and I've been on the podcast and said during that time, I think it got to around to January. Um, and I was saying, look, I think enough's enough now. Um, it was probably before then, actually, before then. But I said, enough's enough now, you know, lads. I think it was around the AFC Wimbledon game um, when I was away and I recorded a video and the fans wanted him out or whatever. Um, and, you know, I thought enough's enough. The football's boring. You know, we're not playing well. Um, and I think for a lot of fans also were annoyed about the fact that he didn't have that charisma on the, on the touchline, didn't seem bothered. Even I think it's more just the fact he's a bit of a reserve bloke. But, you know, maybe you could just, I mean, Mark Catlin said he's stubborn. You know, I would probably give him a nudge and just saying, just wave a little bit more and, you know, just pump your fist in the air a bit more if you score a goal. And, you know, that will make the fans happier. But, you know, he hasn't done that. But at the same time, he did turn it round and Pompey went on the, in a pretty, you know, really good run near, near the end of the season of fire ourselves back up the table um, and then had a wobble at Fleetwood, um, which meant we, you know, if we'd had won that game, the last game we played, we would have been in the automatics over Oxford. Um, and, you know, three get promoted. That's that's a bit of a shame. But what are your thoughts on on Kenny Jacket as Portsmouth manager from an outside perspective? Because I think there's a perception within Pompey that some of the fans that want him out at the moment, um, some fans think that's a bit of a bonkers idea that we're four, we're in fourth, a point off, uh, off third, and uh, yeah, they think it's a bit mad. So I'd be interested to hear what you think about Kenny Jacket and whether you think he's the right man to take Pompey forward. I think in a way, you look at Kenny Jacket and you say that he's got form, hasn't he, for getting out of this league. But then so is Parkinson. Um, my honest opinion and my honest answer is I, I think he's failed a bit. Because I think, I mean, I'm looking through, I'm actually, as you were speaking there, I was looking through Pompey's side. And you're one of the better sides in the league. Like, I think you're a better team than us. I mean, you've got Ryan Williams, who's impressed me every time I've seen him play. You've got... Tom Naylor is in there as well, who actually came really close to signing for Sunderland until Coleman went. He was actually due to come to Sunderland. I think we offered him ten grand a week or something, um, and he would have been a great signing. He's a he's a worthy ticket, and obviously, I, I think Chris Maguire got the best side of him in the, the playoffs last year, which was funny looking back. But like a good player, 
really good player. But then you've got like Marcus Harness. I know he didn't play every week, but I've always been impressed by him. Yeah, uh, Cameron McGeehan's a really good player. I don't know what he's been like since he's come on loan. Gareth Evans, I thought was, I thought he changed the game at the Czech Trade final. I think Ben Close is, in my opinion, championship level. Um, Steve Seddon was good when I see, uh, saw him at Fratton Park against us. Ro- uh, Ross McCrory, I love Ross McCrory, but I'm very, very biased in that. But I think Ross McCrory is good enough for the Rangers' first team. Ronan Curtis is basically Chris Maguire. I know he went through a really bad run of form. Um, last season kind of coinciding with when we played in the playoffs but obviously he's come back this season and been everything you'd expect him to be Brett Pittman when he's not shouting at ball boys is not a bad player um, <laughs> Ollie Hawkins John Marquis on form is one of the better players I mean you've got McGilvery he's like your second choice goalkeeper and he's Scotland's third choice goalkeeper I think when you look through the squad and you see the players that you've got the fact that you know, you're not coasting and you still get beat, like, was it 4-1 off Accrington you got beat at one point this season and you got beat off the AC Wimbledon? Uh, yeah, don't talk about it. It's been awful that part of the season, mate. It literally, it, it, it was subpar, mate. And you can't expect to get promoted when you have that sort of start to the season. Yeah, I mean, I look at stuff like that and I just think, well, fair enough, if you look at where you are in the league. But for me, I'd actually counted out Pompey as being catchable last season when around sort of December time. I was like, well, Pompey's won the league, so if we can get second ahead of like Luton or Barnsley, that's how I was looking at it. And then you fell so far out of it um, and ended up getting beat off us in the playoffs. And then this season, you just started really badly, then went on that really good run of form a bit like us. But you've picked up those shitey little results. I think from the outside looking in, Pompey should be doing better. I think you've got one of the... I think either yourselves or Rotherham have probably got the best sides and the best team in the league. Um, I know Coventry are flying high, but I don't. I think Coventry have got a decent. I think Coventry have got a decent spine. I think you know pound for pound, Portsmouth probably are one of the best sides in the league, and you should be doing a lot better. Yeah, this is one of those things. I think that you know, I think Pompey fans would like to see a bit more um, attacking football as well. It's not. It's a bit like Sunderland fans, I suppose. The fact that I think I think you know, if you're gonna. If some you can put up with it to a certain level, can't you? If you're winning, if you're in promotion yeah. spot, you put up with it. You sort of get, you're kind of happy with it, etc. But you know, when results aren't going well and you're still watching that same sort of football, um, then it's it's quite down. But we picked it up and we started playing more of a high press. He sort of took on a bit of criticism and it looked better. If the season had played out um, and we hadn't been promoted, I think it might have been, he's only got one year left on his contract. Okay. So I think it might have been time for a change. But the thing is with the situation that we're in now, is it the right time to look for a new manager? I, I don't know. Depends who you could get, doesn't it? That's yeah, the thing. Yeah. It's always the, because I think a lot of people said the same with Jack Ross at the time. Everyone kind of was like, a lot of people were very much Jack Ross out. And yeah, I'll be honest. I was quite vocal about it. If I knew what was coming, I probably would have kept him. Um, and especially after watching Sunderland until I die, I realised a lot of the problems were not necessarily his fault or he was doing more than he should have been doing. Um, but the argument was always, well, who would you get? And it was like, oh, when Parkinson was due to be getting set, it was like, well, who are you going to get? With Pompey, I mean, it depends who you got. Because um, it's going to be, it would be hard to replace someone with his track record, but there has to become a point where, I mean, say this season continues and if, breaking news, by the way, if Dara McAnthony's tweet is anything to go by, we are going to be completing this season um, and you don't get promoted, 
where do you go from that? Just keep hoping that he's going to get promoted at some point. I think you've got a good enough sight to get promoted, so you should be there or thereabouts. But you should realistically probably be above where you're at and not having these dips in form that he seems to keep on having. Yeah, no, I'm in agreement. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see whether... Um, I think Mark Catlin's still quite loyal to him and I think I think it will play out the next season. What I don't want to happen really, Graham, is that we go into next season and I think don't think Kenny's going to want to sign a one-year contract extension. So you've got a choice to make then, haven't you? Do you go yeah. into a season with a manager on a, on the last year of his contract without a new deal? It's always a bit iffy. Um, or you've probably got to offer him a multi-year contract, I'd assume, to keep him. So there is some sort of crossroads there, really. Mick McCarthy's available. Great manager. Love Mac McCarthy. Yeah. I mean, just trying to think you could get, but it's, it is difficult. Mick McCarthy would be, if it, for me, if it was Sunland and Parkinson, when he would be the first person I'd go for. Um, great track record, really understands fan bases, good at building teams on shoestrings, good at building a, a team unity, and he's done it across the board. Um, and he's also hilariously funny, which is just like an extra bargain, isn't it? But then again, you know, none of us have a crystal ball. None of us know no. if something's going to work. And if, you know, hind, like look at me with Jack Ross, I was quite towards the end, quite vigorously Jack Ross out. Now we're sitting six months later and I'm like, oh, I kind of wish we just kept them actually. Yeah. And actually, some Poppy fans actually point to the Sunderland model going, ah, well, look what happened, you know? You know, we actually yeah. bounced back. We stuck with Kenny Jacket and he actually he turned it around and bounced back and, you know, we were right down the bottom and we we're on, a, on a, a mad run really to get where we are now. Um, some fans uh, will point to saying that, you know, if the season played out, potentially we could have gone up automatically. Um, and that would be through the fact that Pompey, you know, showed patience in their manager rather than doing a knee jerk reaction on based on what the fans are saying. You've got two, a double edged sword to that as well, because if you get you promoted, and then you get up in the championship, you go, oh, well, you know, stick with him because it's his plan and you stick with his vision. But then on the flip side, do you think, like one one big argument that people end up Parkinson was, yeah, fair enough, even if he gets us out of this division, is he going to do anything in the championship? And many people went, well, I don't think so, actually. It's not, it wasn't a forward-thinking appointment. Do we think Kenny Jacket would do much in the championship? Because he never really has, has he? He's very much no. a league one. Yeah, yeah. I, I would like to see us give it a go. Promotion, and then yeah. yeah, you want to see us playing a little bit more fluid football and um, having a go. And what is quite an exciting league, isn't it? If you get promoted into it, you, would, you don't want to see us sort of sticking everyone behind the ball and defending and trying to scrape scrape a win that way. So, um, yeah, yeah. Well, and we'll have to see how, how it pans out. Graham, how are you for finishing the season? Um. I miss football like mad, but and maybe it's just because I'm so apathetic with Sunderland at the minute. But just null and void it. Just I, null and void it. I'll play it when it's safe. Um, I think the notion of like players having to turn away when they get tackled is, pardon my French, fucking absolutely ridiculous. Um, if it's not safe for them to play, at the end of the day, I think football has been demonised a whole lot throughout this time, and really, really incorrectly. And I don't agree with like. Anything that Matt Hancock said a few weeks ago about players donating this, that and the other, like, I think for me, we need to remember the NHS is not a, a blooming charity. It's, you know, it's, it's meant to be funded by the government correctly. And I think we've obviously seen it hasn't been. Um, when it comes to football, for me, the big pull to want to get football back, I understand from a business perspective, I understand that a lot. Um, but me as a person 
people before money every single time. Um, football will come back. It's not going to die. But if there's a chance that people might, I think we need to think about that first and foremost. And um, playing games behind closed, closed doors, they're just pointless. Like because football doesn't really exist with fans. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll sit and watch the Bundesliga because I'm starved of it and I'm sick of playing football manager in FIFA, <laughs> to be honest. But yeah, yeah. Like at the same time, I think if there's one thing that to me that's more important than football, it's people and people's lives. Um I think if that means nulling and voiding it or just having the 2019, 2020, 2021 season, then then so be it. Um I think it's a difficult situation for the people deciding on it. I'm certainly pleased I'm not that person that has to sit in a room and go, the bloody hell do we do? Because it's a really difficult decision. But people are more important than you know, the, the safety of fans and the safety of players. No matter how much they're paid, it doesn't matter if they're paid 100 grand a week or £10 a week. They're still people, they're still humans, they're still families and kids and moms and dads and granddads and, and grandparents. Um, I think they need to be protected as much as you know we would protect our neighbour. Um, I don't think it's fair for them to be flung onto a pitch with or without fans um, when it's not safe. And it doesn't feel safe to me. Um, I just went for my, my shop, hence why I was a little bit late coming onto this podcast because I need to get some uh, get, get some food in because I'm running short. And I didn't feel safe walking around the shops. I don't feel like went past the scariest part of this. I still feel like terrified doing that. So if I'm honest with you, I, I don't feel comfortable saying, yeah, I need entertaining. The, the morale of the nation needs lift and let's just get these players back on the pitch because some of them are really young lads, 17, 18-year-old, who have family and parents. And uh, if it's not safe for me, then why is it safe for them? It shouldn't be that way. No, it's got to be safe. I don't think anyone wants, well, some people I'm guessing do, but until we have a situation where it's settled down, and in my opinion now, it certainly hasn't settled down yet. And the government's had a, well, I'm not going to go into politics, but slow response. Um, <laughs> yeah, dangerous territory. But I think uh, you can probably tell from my response where my allegiance is live, but I am from the northeast, so that, I don't think that surprises anyone. Uh, everyone's a Tory in the northeast, is what I've heard. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something like that might might be a hundred percent incorrect, but I can't comment on any rumors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mate. No, so I think you think you've got to make it safe for players to, to return. But I don't see why yeah. you can't delay that until there is a, a moment that is safe, like sure. but like Bundesliga, because um, it will it will come to a point where it's safer to return. Um, yeah. We just have to be patient. For for me, I mean, um, we were talking off air as well. I mean, I haven't seen my girlfriend for like coming up nine weeks now. If I'm if I'm not seeing my girlfriend for nine weeks, then you know I I can live without bloody like bloody Sunderland on the pitch, especially at the minute. I, I couldn't care less about them and the way that they're playing currently. But secretly, I do miss them a little bit. Don't get me wrong, but uh, like it it almost feels like pointless, doesn't it? It feels like I can sit and listen to podcasts and play football games, and I love football more than anyone in the world, but. Like I said, there's there's one thing that's more important than, than football and unfortunately it goes against the grain with that famous comment, but life and death is, is not more important than football. No, no, I, I massively agree, mate. Um, so just to let people know, Graham um, runs the What The Folk podcast, which is well named, mate, after yourself. Um, yes. And uh, he's done some good interviews with the likes of Eunice Kabul on there, um, someone with David Norris as well, which is coming up to be released. Um, and Yeah, so there's loads of other players as well. So it's not just a... It's not just well. It's not just Sunderland base, is it, Graham? So it's all players from all around the country. Now we're on the world, oh, even. Cool. So um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've got Sparky on there, Sparky McNally. Plenty of Portsmouth players on there. You've got um, there's a certain player that I remember you guys loved, Cole Dickinson. Are you big, big, big fan of him? I hear in Portsmouth. 
And yeah, he, yeah, he's uh, he's Pompey's favourite <laughs> right back. <laughs> but, but you you've listened to it yourself, and he you know he gives a good. And sometimes the the most interesting stories come from the players that you didn't connect with very much because you get to see their viewpoint, their human side. And I, I would you know it's blown smoke on my own backside here but i'd recommend that one to listen to for pompey fans because it's probably quite interesting but you know if you want to hear about the good stuff for pompey and the, the better players you've got mark mcnulty there as well um david norris as you said coming up uh big Eunice, who obviously i think we both love so yeah i mean if you if you have any spare time which i think we all have at this moment what the fork is do, doing all right i'm trying my best to keep entertained much like you are as well hugh yeah mate and where can people find that mate um so I've just made a Twitter page and realised that the the handle makes no sense, but now people are following it anyway, so I'm, I'm a bit knackered. But it's Folk Watt, so at Folk Watt, and Folk is F-A-L-K, which is after my name, um, or G Folk Media, which my own, I tweet stuff from that as well. Um, but if you, it's on all like subscribing stuff, so What the Folk podcast on Spotify, what the Fork podcast on YouTube, uh, what the Fork podcast is on Podbean, and what the Fork podcast is on Apple. Although it seems to take forever to upload onto Apple, um, probably because I don't own an iPhone, it probably hates me. Um, it always but, does that, mate. Actually, yeah. it, it, it tends to drip through a bit quicker now. So mine started off, I don't know why, but the feed actually started off. Um, and I won't bore everyone, but it started off taking a while. And then it, it, it tends to, seems to catch up actually a bit quicker. Um, so I don't, yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. But YouTube's the best place because. You know, as I was saying off air, I've just gone on to uh, going to university and I've learned how to use video editing. So it's like when it comes to YouTube, I like to do big, massive, silly intros that nobody really cares about. But if you do, if you care about big, silly intros with songs and music and goal highlights, then uh, you get a good 20 seconds of that before the interview. If you don't care about that, you can just listen elsewhere. <laughs> nice one. Love it. Graham, mate, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And uh, I think I think we've kicked this series off with a bang, mate. I hope so. I hope that have been interesting. I hope I haven't criticized or slagged anyone off too much but it's uh i tend to do that but there you go at least i'm honest no it's great to hear from you mate and uh yeah keep cool. keep in touch as always mate and uh yeah it's good to have you um with me hosted it for once you've not had to host this one so it's been me <laughs> rather than yourself i think <laughs> i was on roku review about six times and um it was always the other way around wasn't it so uh it's been yeah. interesting it's a role reversal it feels a little bit weird uh i feel like I feel like Jerry Springer sitting in the audience after his wife has just cheated on him with seven different midgets or something like that. So <laughs> that's, the, that's the effect I have on people, mate. <laughs> Being told out on the pub, yeah, that's a standard, mate. No, up the top, shaggy blues, mate. Um, all right, mate. Um, well, cheers coming on the show. And Pompey fans, stay safe. And until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!